0: Hey, Cornerstone Church. I am so excited to get to spend a few days with you here uh, at your retreat, Reach One, Teach One, uh, to journey with you as you get to know Jesus and listen to him and join him in this amazing process of making disciples. Uh, One of the things I really believe in is that the world truly is transformed when we focus in on making disciples. That's what Jesus said, right? When he invited us into this great commission go make disciples. Of all nations, and as Jesus followers throughout history followed that mandate, uh, the world was truly changed. People not only got to know Jesus and came into eternal life with Him, but the kingdom of God came on earth, so to speak. Uh, heaven was extended into our world. We were became the full image bearers we were called to be in our world, and as a result, the world was transformed. Uh, We obviously continue in that amazing invitation and process. Today, in 2021, this invitation Jesus gave some 2,000 years ago is still ours for the taking. And so I'm so excited to journey with you as you try to lean in and grow and become better disciple makers. Now, today, my main point is going to be this, that Jesus is already at work even before we show up. He's already at work in people's lives, preparing them, drawing them to himself for this amazing journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus. And so as we are called to make disciples, it's not really about us doing all the work. Yes, we have to do some work. It's about us discerning what Jesus is already doing and how Jesus is inviting us to join him in specific people's lives so that he can make those disciples through us and with us. And so today, as we take a look at the scriptures, I'm going to be drawing drawing mostly from the book of Acts, this amazing book of the early movement of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to start off by uh, looking at Acts chapter 8. And uh, the point here in Acts chapter 8 will be, again, how Jesus is already at work. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 8 and then go to some other passages in Acts to think through the nuances of what this actually means and how we might Really embrace this well. Uh, this idea that, again, Jesus is already at work and we just need to show up and, and work with him. Uh, but let me say this before we jump into Acts chapter 8. Uh, some of us may think to ourselves wait, we're about to read a number of passages about something that we tend to call in Christendom evangelism, you know, people coming to meet Jesus for the first time. Uh, I thought we were talking about discipleship. Well, I think uh, Pastor Jeff has already mentioned this before, uh, but let me just kind of reemphasize something you've heard from him. That I really think evangelism, at least scripturally speaking, is a part of discipleship from Jesus's perspective. You know, when we are told to make disciples, as you think about the implications of that and how they live that out in the book of Acts, that meant they were engaging with people who didn't know Jesus to help them know Jesus and follow after Jesus. And so people be pre-Jesus were already part of, were, were, were a part of this discipleship journey. You know, it's not that, oh, that's evangelism pre-Jesus and then afterwards discipleship. That's when I teach them all the right doctrine or whatever. No, 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 no. In Jesus' mind, this is a total package. And also it's not just about teaching the right thoughts and right doctrines, right? Even in Matthew 28, it's about teaching, yes, but teaching them to obey and so it's teaching them to follow after Jesus and what Jesus has invited us into in this new kingdom reality. And so that's just something to note as we jump into these passages. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Our first story, our first idea that we want to reflect on is how, again, Jesus is already at work, even before we show up, drawing people to himself, working and opening their hearts to him, all we have to do is listen to Jesus and follow him into those moments. Acts chapter 8 verse 26, of course, is the amazing story of how the Ethiopian eunuch comes to meet Jesus. And the story starts like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And if you remember the story, Philip was one of the uh, initial seven followers of Jesus chosen to serve the poor widows in the early church that uh, were in need of services? Uh, the apostles didn't, you know, couldn't uh, focus on that. They empowered these uh, Jewish uh, peoples, this this the sect, the Hellenistic Jews of the early church, to find their own leadership, and they empower them to serve these widows. Uh, unfortunately the church went through its first persecution where a man named Stephen was killed and as a result the early church in Jerusalem got scattered and these followers of Jesus got kind of you know strewn all across the early Mediterranean world and as they were going through that um the um you know Philip ends up In this situation where the Holy Spirit is trying to tell him, hey, I need you to go to this certain place, right? And so this is a really interesting place. The road that is from Jerusalem to Gaza, verse 28. And it's interesting because if you look at the end of verse 28, the author, which is Luke in this case, tells us explicitly, he says this, this is a desert place. Let's kind of let that sink in. I I like how Luke kind of inserts that added detail. Because if you think, if you put yourself in Philip's shoes, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, I just heard the Holy Spirit tell me to go here and wait a second, there's like nothing there. This is a desert place. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, you're putting me in the middle of the desert. What's what's going on? Right? Now, it's interesting, of course, that uh, verse 27, the next verse, we read that, well, Philip being a avid follower of Jesus obeys. Praise God. He does that. He says, and he rose and he went. And so he's going, he knows this is a desert place. He's like, okay, I'm just going to show up. I have no idea what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden Luke tells us this next scene. He says this, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you know the story, this is an amazing scene, right? Um, In this desert place, Philip's not expecting anything there. All of a sudden, there's a high court official who is a black African, of all things, who is there, you know, unexpectedly, really, And if you know the rest of the story, it's pretty crazy because Philip gets brought to literally stand next to this person as he's reading the book of Isaiah, wondering, what does this mean? And Philip, of course, hears him ask the question and says, well, I know what it means. Let me tell you about Jesus. And this person receives Jesus and comes into God's family. Uh, I'll let you read the rest of the story on yourself by yourself. It's an exciting story, honestly. But the point is this, right? Just think about it. Philip obviously did not plan for any of this happen. I mean, he was going to a desert place, for loud. out loud. He had no idea what was going on. And he obviously had nothing to do with Philip uh, getting to this place of spiritual openness or readiness to hear about Jesus. This was truly the Spirit's work, not Philip's work. All Philip had to do was listen and obey Jesus. The Spirit is at work. Jesus is at work even before we show up. Do you believe that to be the case with the situations you find yourself in? Do you believe that to be the case as you try to motivate yourself to go make disciples of all nations? This can be one of the most freeing truths that you can believe in if you're serious about making disciples. Because if you have tried to do anything in your own strength, let alone making disciples for Jesus, you know very quickly as a follower of Jesus that that is futile, absolutely futile. It is totally not worth it to try to do something with your own wisdom, with your own strength, in your own power. The Spirit of God is the one who makes disciples through us. He's already at work. Can we rest in that truth? Ground ourselves in that reality and listen to the voice of Jesus as he is at work moving and doing things. Now, Acts, of course, will go on and tell us or continue to illustrate how this works out in the nitty gritty. Uh, The next passage I want to just kind of reflect on is in Acts chapter 17, because in Acts 17, we read about, well, again, the spirit of God working, the early followers of Jesus just listening and obeying, and they're making disciples of all sorts of people, and and the church is getting planted all over the world. It's really exciting stuff. But in Acts 17, there's another descriptor of how this actually works in God's sort of way that I find interesting. Not only is the spirit of God at work with people that don't know him before we show up, but more specifically, the spirit of God has determined the specific people around us. More specifically, he has determined the people's locations and their time in their spiritual journey and in their life journey, and he has basically put people in the right places at the right time around us so that they can hear about Jesus. Let me let me read to you how uh, Paul describes this reality. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking to um, people who don't know Jesus, about Jesus. And he's kind of painting a broad picture of how God is at work in our world. And he says this in Acts uh, chapter 17. He says this in 24 verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven or and earth does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he's he's talking about how God is just above all, right? How he is Lord of everything. He is kind of above our human manipulation and coercion and things like this but notice what he says in the next verse as he as he continues to explain this god who is above all he says this in verse 26 and he god made from one man every nation of mankind okay we know that to be true god created adam through adam humanity was created but notice what he says about this He made one man, uh, uh, from one man, every nation of mankind, check this out, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods of time and having determined the boundaries, number two, of their dwelling place. So he's determined the period of time that they exist and where they live, the boundaries of where they live. Check this out. Verse 27, so that they should seek God. Just kind of think about that. I think what Paul's trying to tell us is that the people that are around us today who don't know Jesus, the people at your workplace, people in your neighborhood, the people in your family, the people on your social media feed, the people at school, They are there at this time, at this period of time, in that specific place next to you and I, so that they might seek God. It's a powerful claim, isn't it? I wonder what would happen if you and I looked at our world through that reality. I mean, what if you and I woke up every day realizing that wow god today people are going to be around me my friends are going to be around me my family's going to be around me my co-workers are going to be around me and it is none of that's by accident god you have specifically put them there in this moment in time in that specific location with the hopes that they will seek you and oh my goodness i'm next to them too and you've invited me to to make disciples of them well, what does this mean? What if we all looked at our surroundings that way? And what if we were all going back to point number one, in tune with the Holy Spirit, recognizing that he has put them there and is at work somehow in them, even before we show up. You know, Tomorrow you're going to um, hear from uh, a good friend of mine, Miguel, And uh, we're going to have a conversation together. And we're going to talk about how we met each other in the pandemic because we were serving our community. And you're just going to hear a story of how, essentially, I was kind of aware that, oh, maybe this is a relationship God wants me to be a uh, witness to him about. Uh, This is a relationship that's not by accident. And you're going to hear a little bit about how we have begun to talk to each other about our spiritual journeys and even begun in some places to embark on a spiritual exploration of who Jesus is. And so I'm excited to share that story with you. But I have a feeling today, right now, quite literally right outside your door, just 10 yards away from you, right in front of your social media feed, literally one click away from you i have a feeling that there are people in those spaces that are not there by accident there are people right there that god wants you to make disciples of will you be ready to listen and open to that reality people are more ready than we realize people around us are being worked on by Jesus himself. Let's be ready for that amazing, amazing work. Now, of course, the reality is, as we make ourselves open and available to Jesus and what he is trying to do, um, things will get, honestly, pretty exciting. Um, if you have never kind of worked with the Holy Spirit and this sort of front line, uh, the edge of like, the the gospel expansion. Uh, It's pretty fun stuff, honestly, but it is probably to you and still to me, it is pretty nerve wracking, right? Uh, It's nerve wracking because you don't know what to expect. And sometimes you get thrown into certain situations where you're really like, wow, I, um, this is super uncomfortable. Like, I'm not sure if I should say this or say that. wait, people believe that or are acting that way. Like, uh, what do I do? How do I say, you know, what do I, how do I navigate through this? Things can get really messy. And so the third thing I want to kind of just emphasize from the book of Acts here is that things will get messy, but God will give you and I what we need to get through it. And this is seen all throughout the book of Acts, but Uh, One story I like to look at and and ponder is in Acts chapter 11, when the first uh, church uh, gets started among non-Jewish people. It's the church in Antioch. And, uh, you know, it's a famous church in the uh, New Testament because it's the church where Paul was sent out from and the Gentile world was reached basically from this space. Uh, I mean, all of us who are non-Jewish, which is I assume everyone in the room right now, um, all of us owe our existence, our spiritual history and heritage to this church in Antioch. Uh, it's a pretty cool story, I think. Now, what's really fascinating about this church in Antioch is uh, a number of things. It, it was actually started by a bunch of no-namers. Uh, specifically, the people who evangelized, the people who ended up forming this church, their names are not given to us. And I think this is really encouraging, right? Because sometimes we think, oh man, this work of disciple-making... it." You know, it's really about those uh, superstar Christians, the Christians who have a name, who know what they're doing. They're the ones who can really make disciples. Us, we're just, you know, we're no namers. So, you know, there's not much hope for us. No, no, no. Wrong way to think about the kingdom of God. In fact, I would argue this church that gets started here by no-name people is probably more influential than any, you know, than any other church in Acts. Because, again, they send out Paul. Um, and so it's amazing that this is the church. Uh, started by no-namers that that has this distinction. Now, what's interesting, though, is that this church was not only started by no-namers. They were started by no-namers who were willing to cross some boundaries and get a little, quote-unquote, messy. Messy in terms of theology, their sociology, their morality. They didn't compromise those things, but they entered into a space where somebody else's theology, morality, uh, lifestyle, all those things were very different from theirs. Why do I say this? Well, it tells us specifically in Acts uh, Acts 11, uh, starting in verse uh, 20, that as people were evangelizing in this region, uh, you know, first of all, they were evangelizing, sharing the message of Jesus to Jews. But then in verse 20, it says this, but there were some of them, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. In some of your translation, the word Hellenists may also may mean Greeks or be translated Greeks. Basically, uh, scholars think there are two things going on here, potentially two things. Either these Hellenists or Greeks were actually ethnic Greeks who were also culturally Greek. So they're not Jewish ethnically or not Jewish morally, religiously speaking. Uh, or they, it can mean that they were uh, Hellenists, which t- can mean they were um, Jewish in ethnicity, but culturally they were Greek. They were not followers of God. They had been assimilated into Greek culture in all its good and bad. These were people who were not morally like in the same zone as the early Jesus followers who mostly came from a Jewish background. What we're talking about here, basically in our modern day terminology is people who didn't grow up with a church understanding of what's good and bad of what's right or wrong of what a marriage should or shouldn't look like, what sex should or shouldn't look like, what drinking alcohol, smoking, whatever, like they just did not grow up with a Christian understanding or exposure or history of that. My hunch is that in the early church, much like today, for many people who were following Jesus, there's quite a bit of discomfort hanging out with those people or even crossing a boundary to talk with those people. I think that's why many early Christians, when they were telling other people about Jesus, they just talked to people like them, the Jewish people. It's not just a ethnic race thing. It's a comfortability thing as well with the morality and sociology of it all. But there were some who crossed that boundary and talked to these people who were different. And you can probably imagine things are pretty uncomfortable pretty quickly, right? I mean, you can probably imagine there were in situations where people were like, you know, living with people that they're like, oh, you're in that kind of relationship with somebody. People's language and their choice of words and content of their jokes were like very different from theirs. And my hunch is that it would have taken some divine help to recognize, wait a second, I can't let that stop me. I need to go beyond that. And as people come to Jesus, I need to really figure out, how we can address these things in the name of Jesus so that in this process of discipleship, they can learn everything Jesus has taught us and obey everything Jesus has taught us. You know, if you've ever been on the front line of Jesus' work in this way, you know that that will happen right away. And I've had that happen a lot, just in all sorts of ways, in my church planning journey. Um, Not too long ago, I remember, I, I was working with a teenager who called me as they were coming down from a high on acid. And I remember just showing up where he wanted me to, me to meet him. And he was just just wanted to tell somebody about this. And he was like, yeah, and um, I feel like God is trying to get a hold of me. And we had a moment where we prayed and he surrendered his life to Jesus. But, you know, it would have been really um, uh, sad for me If I let that moment provoke fear or disdain or any type of separation from this young man, because A, he didn't need Jesus at that moment, God was using this as an entry point for him. But I think about so much of uh, the Christian subculture that uh, I'm aware of that may have been like, oh, this is a, a moment to perhaps lecture this child on on. Not doing acid or kind of to let that morality, his immoral behavior kind of drive the content of my conversation versus me just listening and discerning and being aware that, oh, this is a moment that Jesus is working in. How can I follow Jesus into this? I think about, um, you know, a more specific story, too, in John 4, actually, when Jesus is doing this, uh, modeling this for his disciples with the Samaritan woman at the well. You know the story. Uh, Jesus is there, and this woman has had five husbands, is currently living with somebody who's not her husband. So, um, you know, this is a a woman who probably is not looked upon very highly uh, in her town. Uh, You know, to put it lightly, maybe she was seen as a slut or somebody who, like, man, you know, you don't want to hang out with those, especially if you're religious. But Jesus, of course, sees beyond all that. And he sees that this is a woman who eventually will plant the church in the Samaritan village, right? Because this is the woman who brings the whole village to Jesus. Jesus comes into the village later and they have a great time. This village essentially turns to Jesus. She's the first church planter, by the way, uh, in the New Testament. But um, what I find fascinating, of course, is that when they have this conversation where Jesus begins to talk to her about what she really needs. Yeah, Jesus brings up the the, the, the romance, sexual you know, lifestyle issue. But Jesus doesn't like make that his point. He realizes there is a deeper thing going on underneath for this woman, this desire for living water. And he brings a conversation there and ultimately brings her to the true living water, which is himself. Uh, We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to not let the mess of the world kind of stop us from going deeper to the actual needs of our world. The actual needs of our coworkers and friends and family around us. The need is ultimately Jesus. Yeah, the issues they may be dealing with may seem like, you know, the stuff we need to address. And in some cases, yeah, we need to definitely say something about some of those things. But the reason why people go in all sorts of uh, directions and engage in all sorts of behaviors we would call quote-unquote sinful. The reason people do that is because their deepest needs aren't being met by Jesus. That's why they're going to to put it in other words of scripture. All these idols, they're trying to find meaning, significance, value, satisfaction. When only Jesus can provide that. And so as we think about joining Jesus... In this amazing work of making disciples. As we realize that he's already at work. Before we show up. As we realize. Oh my goodness. These people are around me. Not by accident. You and I will be need to be ready to step in. And when we step in. We will need to be ready to realize. Oh it's going to get messy. It's going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to end up talking about things that. Oh man. I, as in, This is not my usual church topic. Thing I talk about. But. We need to realize that Jesus is at work. And we're going to have to walk through those conversations and be in those spaces so that people ultimately can meet Jesus. You know, when I think about this uh, journey, I, I begin to realize that, you know, often what we are taught about disciple making and quote unquote evangelism is often we are taught a formula or a content driven thing to say in order to help people come into the discipleship journey you know we're taught like the four spiritual laws this is the story of jesus and god we're taught certain maybe the four circles that you've seen through intervarsity uh, christian fellowship you know we're, we're taught like oh the roman road or you know certain things and Don't get me wrong, that's all very important. We need to understand the good news of Jesus. We need to get the content down right. But I think what we begin to realize in the book of Acts is that content is only the beginning. Yes, content is foundational to a certain extent. But what is just as important is recognizing the Holy Spirit. And following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately again. The Holy Spirit is the one. Who is doing the work. Of softening people up. Opening people up to him. He's the one who's bringing people to us. So we can join with him. To talk about Jesus. And that all requires. Ultimately not just head knowledge. And content acquisition. But that kind of understanding will force us to grow in courage. We need courage as well as content to join in this amazing mission of Jesus. And so can I ask you tonight, and you're going to take some time to process with your um, small groups, where are you when it comes to courage? Is that a, a muscle you need to Begin to train yourself in. Can I encourage you? It's worth it to start stepping out in courage. We'll talk more over the next couple of sessions about how you might do that. But let me just say, God bless you. God bless you. God bless me. As we try to follow after Jesus in this direction. Thanks so much for giving me time with you tonight.